the first table was the adults table it was inside in the dining room and it's where all the adults were it was a big long table we have about 30 people in our family and then there was the kids table and that was outside in this little patio area through some sliding glass doors and the the difference between the setting of the two tables was drastically different adult table was where all the food was it was all nice and warm and uh it's where like all the energy was and then out on the patio where the kids were it was a little bit cold there was like a little space heater uh propane heater in the corner just to try to keep it warm and you're i'm always be out there with all my cousins and you you'd look in through the sliding glass door and you'd see laughter and conversation and you'd look around at the the kids table and be like oh my goodness like there are my younger cousins here and you didn't necessarily want to be around your younger cousins because they were they were immature and they were little and uh and we were at least growing up i was like oh i was always so mature and i remember one of the thanksgivings where one of my older cousins got invited to sit at the adult table and she was celebrated and elevated and we were all so jealous because it was like she had she had reached it she she had arrived and we were still stuck with our younger cousins and out in the far side and so we longed to be moved up and this was always the conversation no matter how many games we played or or things we tried to do to entertain it was there was always this longing to be moved up to graduate to that adult table and to move up meant we just felt like we were celebrated and elevated. And maybe that's maybe that's not your experience, but I there are all kinds of GOAT debates. For those of you who are unfamiliar with the acronym, GOAT means greatest of all time. It doesn't matter what it is. Basketball players, football teams, NASCAR drivers, movies, presidents, books, musicians, uh, bands comeback stories i mean i know some of you probably have let me pull something uh have have an opinion on who the greatest 80s rock band of all time is like so someone you guys have that opinion and the thing is is these debates range in all different things who's the greatest who's on top who's who's the most accomplished and the reason it's debated is because the criteria is usually always subjective and it's it's is it who has the highest uh like ceiling like the most single epic performance is it who's got the most accolades who's got the most individual records or who is the most talented and while some of these debates are playful and fun, I mean, sure, you probably know what some of those debates are in your household. You know just what to say to get someone fired up about uh, 80s rock band or a sports team and, you know, to challenge and be like, are, are you really sure? You know, to, just to push those buttons. And it's it's fun because we know that the that there's a criteria and maybe you've got the criteria in your head. This is what it means to be the greatest. And while these debates range on and, and have continued to range on, the reason is, is because we all try to define greatness. 
We all have this picture in our heads of what it means to be celebrated and elevated and who should be the most celebrated and who should be elevated above the rest. The disciples are not immune to this debate. In fact, that's where we encounter them in today's story. They're in a house with Jesus and he is on the road to Jerusalem. See, I said it right for those of you who've been following along with us. And Jesus noticed their arguing. And Jesus says that greatness in the kingdom of God is always defined the same. Jesus' definition of greatness is as follows. If anyone wants to be first, he must be last and servant of all. Jesus is referencing a disposition here. It's not like, okay, I want to get dessert first, so I'm going to get my food last. That's not what he's talking about. What he's talking about is that is that heart disposition is Humility versus pride. Humility defines true greatness. Humility expresses itself in serving others. And serving others comes out when we celebrate others and when we elevate others. And it comes from having an eternal perspective. Jesus in this description gives two examples of how this service of others, how true humility, true greatness expresses itself. And so Jesus uses this term servant here, meaning waiting of tables. Jesus is sharply diverging from cultural norms by elevating this picture of what it means to be great. Plato said, how can a man be happy when he has to serve someone? In Jesus' teaching, to the contrary, the concept of service grows out of his concept of love for one's neighbor. The posture of the servant is a visible manifestation of the reality of God's love. Greatness in God's economy is not reserved for the gifted and privileged. Rather, it presents itself to every believer in the common and simple task of serving others. It's not always glamorous. Serving others means that you will be inconvenienced and that you don't serve to expand your brand, but you serve because you are caring for someone else. You are seeing someone's need and you are meeting it. In a causal world, sometimes we serve because it serves our own self-interest. We do it because we think it'll elevate us and that we will be celebrated because of our service. And Jesus, in describing this picture of a servant, how it was not glamorous, is describing a picture of a service that is self-sacrificial, It is self-denying and it cares for others because serving will inconvenience ourselves for the care of others. And greatness expresses itself in serving. And so Jesus doesn't leave the call to greatness as a call to service. He takes the child and shows how how, how as, as he celebrates this act of service, how it simultaneously elevates this child. See, Greek and Jewish society were not fond of the ideals of childhood and adolescence as we are today. Societies with high infant mortality rates and a great demand for human labor could not afford to be sentimental about infants and youth. Thus, the disciples are not to be like children, but to be like Jesus who embraces them. It is Jesus, not the child, who here demonstrates what it means to be the servant of 
all. And in Jesus' servants, he, he identifies someone who has been forgotten or, or put on the margins of society, who wasn't even thought of as a person, and elevates them, sits the child on his lap and says they are welcome and wanted. Jesus wants his disciples to be like him in welcoming people whom others push away and create distance with. Jesus has been sent on behalf of God to communicate what the Father is like. Therefore, as Jesus' representatives in the world, the disciples were to be like him. And when they would welcome or others would welcome them, it's as if they were welcoming God himself to the table. This is a picture, again, of hospitality, of community, of relationship with others, which means there's proximity for the disciples and others rather than distance. It's not a hospitality with tears, with an adult table and a kid's table. There aren't levels. It's one table. And Jesus is saying, slide over and make room for more people. And the people who are most like me are the ones who slide over and make room for more. And these people aren't people exactly like them. In fact, they're sometimes the people who are most different than them, like a disciple who was following a Jewish rabbi and the child. And this tone, this one is sent by God for Jesus to embody. And so it always begins with understanding this relationship. The disciples have been welcomed to the table. And if they realize this, then when others act in this way, they can't help but make room for them and celebrate and elevate them. In God's family, there isn't some kid's table. All are welcome and wanted. This is why we, we've been telling stories about other church planters. is because we are trying to celebrate the work that God is doing within the world. And to, to, to elevate them to a place to see, look, they are doing God's work. They are welcoming others to the table. They, they are inviting others into community. And that is what it means to be a servant. And so by inverting cultural norms, Jesus challenges the disciples to have this eternal perspective. But unsurprisingly, the disciples do not hear Jesus well and immediately present an encounter that they had with someone else who was driving out demons. It's like, yeah, Jesus, yeah, we, we hear you. Be a servant, be a servant. But, but what about that person? Clearly they are in the wrong. And again, the reason the disciples were bringing this up, it's because rather than serving and celebrating, they were comparing. The disciples had the ability to cast out demons, and then they ha didn't have that ability. They, in our last teaching last week, we saw that, that because they were so self-absorbed and they weren't relying upon God, that they ultimately were not able to do the work that Jesus had given them to the ability to do. They aren't concerned with the good this person is doing, nor by the name in which they, that person is doing it under. Notice what the disciples say. They say, we tried to stop him because he wasn't following us. We should expect them to say, Jesus, we tried to stop him because he wasn't following you. But the subtle change of word here from you to us is another echo of their inflated self-importance. The 12 had a narrow perspective towards the work of 
God. They wanted to set the limits and they wanted to set the term because they were more concerned with the power and the prestige of following Jesus in contrast to the mission of Jesus. And you may be wondering why, why this is such a big deal. And remember, Jesus is on the way to die. Jesus talked about his mission. He's talked about his messiahship. He's talked about his impending death. And so all the disciples had in their head was when Jesus died, who was going to be the one to take his place? And they were trying to define greatness by their own perspective. And so let me just pause here and say this. <laughs> this is so us. We face a great temptation to see the world in terms of us versus them. We do the same thing that the disciples do. What about them? And Jesus huddles us up metaphorically and says, focus on me. Focus on my mission, where I have placed you. The arbiter of truth for the disciples became a comparison rather than the mission. The disciples are letting this their past experiences block the advancement of Jesus' mission in the world. Their pride is hurt. And so Jesus responds to them, don't stop him. He's performing work in my name. The situation would be different if the person was clearly performing acts in their own name. And if this wasn't genuine, then the exercising of demons would not have been possible, just like it was not possible for the disciples. But this person is acting consistently with the way of Jesus, while the disciples were focused on their own self-interests. So Jesus applies his definition of greatness by giving three whoever statements that break the faulty dividing lines the disciples had created for bringing up this other scenario. Jesus assesses three common misconceptions about serving others which display a temporal perspective instead of an eternal perspective. That serving others must be on your own terms. That serving others has to be profound or that serving others can't be co-opted by spiritual pride. And Jesus addresses these. That serving isn't set by you. It is set by God, that serving others can be simple and that serving others can be co-opted by pride. And Jesus lays down a heavy penalty for when our willingness to serve and when the barriers we erect prevent people from continually following Jesus, there's going to be a heavy price to pay. And it's a graphic image that Jesus describes it. The reason it's so graphic is because what Jesus wants the disciples to know is that when we allow our pride to be a barrier, that God will judge that harshly because he doesn't want those barriers to be there because he loves people. And so it's almost as taking a chair out from under someone when we allow our pride to get in the way instead of scooting over and making room. God always sees to true greatness, even when we miss it. And everyone has the possibility for greatness through serving. And too often we exchange the potential for greatness with the preservation of our pride because we have a temporal perspective. 
how do we know if we have a temporal perspective? How do we know if pride is getting in the way of not just serving, but ultimately being a barrier for others joining the family? We have to identify where pride lurks in our own lives and then contrast that with humility. So right now, let's take a painful pride test together. I'm going to ask you seven questions, and I want you to reflect on these. And then we're going to take a humility test, almost an inverse of sorts, to see, is our pride getting in the way? Are, are we doing things out of selfish ambition, or are we drawing lines of distinction? Are, are, are we saying that there's a kid's table and there's an adult table, whether explicitly or implicitly, by our lives? So question number one, am I upset if I am not praised for my work? Question two, do I like and even long to sit at the head of a table in a seat of honor? Question three, do I seek credit for what others have done? Question four, do honorary titles pump me up? Question five, is popularity crucial to my sense of self-worth? Number six, am I a name dropper of those I know or pretend to know? Number seven, do I think I have something valuable to say about almost everything? Now let's take the humility test. Do you hear needs from others in your circle. Question two, are you using the spirit when making decisions? Now, if you have a question about that question in particular, about listening to the spirit and having conversation with the spirit, then there are those around Generation Church who want to walk with you through that, to want to help you practice existing in like a core of four, to exist in that community so that you can get better. So if, if you hear that question, if and just feel like, I don't even know what that means. I don't even know how to do that. Reach out to us. Go to our website, mygenerations.church, and fill out the questions form and say, I have this question so that we can respond to you. Question number three, have you met someone's needs recently? Question four, does the thought of risk, awkwardness, or uncertainty prevent you from making a decision. Question five, do your emotions run wild when someone makes a decision you didn't expect? And kind of aside to that, do you shut down when someone makes a decision you didn't expect? So question six, when deciding where to spend your time, do you always look for an ROI, a return on investment? And since you can't order a service opportunity like you can order something from Amazon, I want you to think about the people that you're going to be around in the next week or two, both physically and or digitally, the people that you will interact with on some way. And I want to challenge you to practice humility, to be humble, to hear from someone, to use the Spirit, to then meet a need, to be willing to risk, to let go of control, 
And lastly, to examine your heart. And remember that when you do this, that what defines you is not the outcome of the act, but the originator of the idea. We can serve because Jesus forgot his pride and was humble all the way to the cross. And his resurrection is proof that an eternal celebration and elevation is better than any worldly accolades. So that as we serve, not for the sake of ourselves, but for the sake of others, that you are storing up a celebration and an elevation in eternity when you might not receive it presently. And so collectively, when the church begins to buy into this, when we say no to pride and we identify pride in our life and we repent of that pride where we say no to it and then do the inverse where, where when we feel that, that presence of, of awkwardness and, and, we, and we shrink back, that next time we act courageous and we step forward in humility and kindness and, and listening to others. When we practice like one of our values, give over get. When we do that, we are able to see an impact in the lives of others. And to do this as a church, even in the midst of this time, because you can't necessarily order, again, a service opportunity like you can on uh, order something off Amazon, we want to be ready and willing to respond to the needs in your life and to the needs of those that you are in relationship with. So we are forming a community action team, and Richard is spearheading this. And so if you're interested in being a part of this community action team, you have a, you have a, a service. Maybe you just have a skill of baking, and you can take cookies to someone else. Or you've, you love animals, and you would be willing to watch pets for people. Or that... I don't know, you're great at writing notes and you would like to write encouraging notes or you're a good cook and when we have meal trains that, that you want to be notified of that so that you can take action. Maybe it's carpentry skills or the ability to change someone's oil, being a car mechanic. You have those skills that when there are needs present that we can tap you on the shoulder and say, hey, we are better together and I'm glad you are a part of Generations and guess what? I have someone in my life who who needs this service and by you serving together you're the presence of Jesus and you're pointing them to Jesus and you're explaining and you're demonstrating what it looks like to be a part of God's family and if we truly embrace the idea of greatness being service then we wouldn't be threatened by the changes in our culture we would see people not as opposition but these moments as opportunities to serve. So if you sense yourself getting worked up about what is happening in our world, my challenge to you is to serve, to find someone in your life to hear, to ask the Spirit, to meet a need, to listen to God, to be willing to take a risk and examine your heart. And above all, point them to Jesus. Because at Generation Church, we are a community of everyday people who are committed to expanding God's family together because of Jesus for generations to come. And one act of service has far-reaching effects. 
It's amazing. I had a business association meeting this last week and they raved about Generations Church and the simple act of showing up and serving. We don't know how God is going to work all of that out. What we do know is that the greatness is not in the name of generations or in the accolades or the praise of those sentiments. But the greatness of generations comes from people who are willing to serve, who are willing to set pride aside and be humble. For those who are willing to celebrate where God is at work in our world and for those who are willing to elevate others when they are down and out and have a humility that is maintained with an eternal perspective. May we continue to make a difference right here in this community. Together, because 